Hello and welcome to another episode of Poetry to Your Ears. Uh, I'm Lulu. I'm Tom. We went to the Verve Poetry Festival in Birmingham, uh, which is last week for us in February 2023. Uh, we took some footage, we did a little bit of uh, interviews, um, there were a lot of things going on, um, yeah. just events like throughout two days for us, but it was actually across five days. Yeah, um, what was there? There was a uh, continuous open mic. So what was that? It was like just a mic that was just... Yeah, for people could, could... to read their poetry, perform, etc. That was on the Saturday. There was a poetry Jenga. Um, How did that work? Yeah, so you, you pick up yeah. a block of the tower and then you have to read like two poetry lines of a poem. And it's all like mixed up together, and then it kind of makes a unique poem. Every you made time. some, you made some friends over poetry. Yeah, Jenga. it's it's good to to like break the ice, I guess. And it had and it had like a typewriter. No, uh-huh, like there was what called was the poetry machine, and uh, someone who like writes poems after like the person telling the story. It's like custom poem, etc. And it's actually a business. Like she goes around places oh, really? and yeah, stuff yeah. in Birmingham. Yeah. There was a bookshop with a lot of books, uh, some exclusive books as well, poets to sign books. Um, there were workshops. Yeah, workshops going on like continuously, right? They, they, yeah, they yeah. always seem to be in there whilst we went into the event, the main events. So the there's halls. like events and workshops at the same time, so you can't do everything. You have to choose. <laughs> and uh, we picked up the the weekend pass, so we just had access to all the events, and. Um, there were events specifically for young people, uh, anthologies, like competitions and stuff, and kind of more established poets, um, you know, reading, I guess. We were lucky enough to talk to some prominent poets on the UK poetry scene. Uh, who yeah. did we talk to? We spoke to uh, Andrew McMillan, mm-hmm. um, Eric Yip, who won the National Poetry National Competition. Poetry competition. And last year, and um, Wayne Holloway Smith. Wayne Holloway Smith, and we spoke to uh, Stuart Bartholomew, who's the uh, director and organizer of um, Verve Poetry Festival. I just want to give a shout out to all the interpreters who uh, translated all the different ways of speaking English at the festival to British Sign Language. It was really impressive. On that note, we hope you enjoy our little video. We're here at the Verve Poetry Festival and I'm with uh, Andrew McMillian. Uh, was it your idea to uh, put this anthology together, 100 Queer Poems? Well, um, so me and Mary Jean Chan um, worked on it together. It just struck me that over the last 10 years, certainly since I've been in poetry and publishing, there's just been this astonishing explosion and flourishing of, of queer poetry. Um, and it felt time to really recognise that, whilst also putting that into a context of what, where that's come from and the voices who that has come out of. And so, you know, tonight, for, um, this afternoon, for example, we heard um, from Golnu Schnur or Jay Gao from their first books, but also Gregory Woods, who's just published his sixth book. And so it was really important to lay those two generations together and, you know, all the way back to Elizabeth Bishop, to Wilfred Owen, Alfred Douglas, and forward to poets who've only just had a pamphlet out and put all those in conversation with each other. 
So did you publish uh, historical poets as well as contemporary poets? Or? Yeah, so the publisher wanted us to do more historical ones because it was cheaper. Um, but we, we kind of decided we'd do 20th and 21st century, so they're all from the 20th or 21st century. Um, and they had to have been published at some point in the UK and they were kind of only parameters. And from that, you know, it's only 100 poems. It's not canon building. It's not these are the only queer poets. It's just the beginning of a conversation. It's just 100 poems. And hopefully, you know, the readers will read those 100 and then go on to the next 100 and the next 100 and the next 100 after that. And uh, in this event then, in Verve, uh, the Verve Festival, there were five poets uh, featured and reading their poetry. How did you decide who to include, or how did that work? a really good mix, I think, that we, that we saw this afternoon of kind of styles, of voice, of um, kind of generation and age. But also, on a very basic level, we've got a spreadsheet of the people who've read from us from the anthology already in different places, because we don't just want the same voices. And so we're always trying to build, each time we do an event for the anthology, it's a unique event for that particular space and so this is the only time that those five poets have ever read together and hopefully that will continue to be true every time we do an event for it in the future. And would you say this is the, the first queer poetry anthology or have there been some before? There's been many before and so um, what this is is the first one for 40 years to be published by what we call the, one of the big five, one of the trade presses and so the last one from a kind of big publisher was in, in this country was in 1984 and it was called the Penguin Book of Homosexual Verse and so even a book of verse feels slightly old fashioned now, we'd say poem rather than verse and so it felt like that was needed updating but there's a massive history of really vital anthologies published in the US over the last few years but in the last few decades and also here in the last few years just this real flourishing of um, new and queer anthologies so we had Queering the Green that's a great Irish poetry anthology um, there's been Recreation from Scotland there's 14 poems that regularly publish mini anthologies of 14 poems 14 queer poems every couple of months um, Verve Poetry Press have been doing their own project around kind of queer poets I think they've just put out an anthology Muswell Press there's just this real resurgence this real flourishing um, of queer voices and this anthology is just one extra small part of that. And how was that experience like for you of uh, putting this anthology together during lockdown and follow-ups of lockdown? How yeah, I think as Mary Jean was saying it sort of gave us a focus in lockdown, it was a kind of nice project to do. Doing permissions is one of the worst experiences of my life ever, trying to find out who owns the poets or who owns the poems and what I really realised I think ultimately is that how random anthologies are so there are some people who aren't in the anthology because they didn't answer their emails and there are some people who aren't in the anthology because they were too expensive dead poets there are some people in the anthology who we just couldn't track down who owned their work they're no longer living but we couldn't work out who owned their work and so you know we think of these anthologies as monolithic things whereas actually we ended up with this phrase in the um in one of the introductions that it's all an anthology is, is an accumulation of the possible. That's all it can be. Um, yeah. And uh, just uh, my last question would be, what does this book mean to you now, if that is published? 
It's been an incredible labour of love. I'm very, very proud of how well it's doing. It's selling incredibly well. It's in Urban Outfitters, which is a shop I'm too old to go in, but I'm told it's in there. Um, and it's got just this real cut-through with lots of different generations, which is which is really beautiful. Um, and so there's a paperback coming of it in 2024, and it just feels like, um, you know, out of anything I've done, I'm proudest of this, I think. Thanks so much. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, we are the Verve Poetry Festival, and I'm with Eric here today. Yeah, hi. <laughs> Hello, nice to meet you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we saw you yesterday at the Harana Poetry event, uh, which is a magazine for writers who write in English as a second or parallel language. Yeah. Um, yeah, how did you first get involved with them in the first place? Uh, so, actually, I think for me, uh, Kostya actually um, messaged me on Twitter, and I, I already knew about like Harana as a magazine, I think they're doing great things. And then um, Kasia sort of invited me to, to submit and I, I handed in a few poems and uh, one of the poems that was published was the first poem that I read yesterday. It's sort of about translation and the sort of actually the untranslatability between um, certain ideas in English and Cantonese. If asked to explain Yang Qingmei, I'd point to the last card noodle shop in Kowen City. No one knows placeholder in Cantonese. At a party, I am Jimmy Carter's interpreter. This joke is untranslatable. Please laugh to save face. There is a sentence stranded behind this one. I dissolve my tongue in another language. The customs officer relaxes his scowl. How is your grandmother? How I split Grandmother and two. Lai Lai, Paw Paw. One dead, the other waiting. A life lost in the saying. Dear reader, sometimes I think you don't know what I mean if you know what I mean. So that was how it started, basically. So do you write poetry mainly in English or in Cantonese or a mix of the both? Or? So, um, so when I started writing poetry when I was like 16 or 17, um, I wrote in English because that was the language that helped me express myself better. Um, it's very strange considering that Cantonese is my mother tongue. Um, but I think English being a language that was not used in my daily life, that helped me sort of gain a sense of security because it wasn't colloquial to me at the time and it was just something that was existed on the page. And so if I wrote about sort of personal stuff or uh, things that made me feel more vulnerable, that sort of confinement to the page makes me feel like um, more able to be able to express that. I, think. Yeah. I, really, I really relate to that because I'm French as well and I write poetry in English. So I do feel that kind of freedom in the English language because of, of that distance maybe and that ability to like play with words. Um, but I'm just wondering a bit more about your story. So you moved to, from Hong Kong to the UK, maybe for your studies? or yeah, for, for your studies. Yeah. And, um, and you were the youngest ever winner of the National Poetry Competition. <laughs> How was that like for you, you know? Uh, it was... Yeah, it was the most surprising thing that ever happened to me because um, I, I mean, when I, was, when I first arrived in the UK, uh, poetry was still this very private thing to me. And then actually when I arrived, it was sort of a shock because I'd never been in the UK, I'd never been in Europe. 
So I just came here, and that was I think that sort of change, that shift in perspective, gave me the impulse to maybe just to write just like something in my poem somewhere. And then um, I just Googled UK poetry competitions, and the first one that came up was National Poetry Competition. And I saw that it mentioned that the free judges would read every single poem, and I thought, cool, you know, the judges will read my poem. That's great. And then I submitted in October. And I actually forgot about like I, I I didn't even remember that I submitted, but then in February I got like a call. I think I, it was, I even I didn't really see it as a big like I was very happy, but I didn't really see it as like a super super big deal. And because I was not really comfortable with the idea that poetry, like now other people are going to know about this, so I kept it a secret. And actually, it was sort of all happened in the blur, like the sort of announcement, like it went public, and then the poem went viral in Hong Kong. And my my friends and family read the poem. I mean, it's it's a very strange feeling, but I think, in the end, um, the best thing that came out of it was being able to meet other poets, to meet other people who read poetry, and to be reminded that it's not a purely solitary endeavor. That at every moment we're sort of influenced by the people we read and the people we sort of read with. If that makes sense. And how was that like to hear from uh, your friends and family about your poem? Who you didn't necessarily want to share to the whole world, and was that fear, uh, you know, maybe debunked in the reality? How was that like for you? Yeah, I think it's a pretty complex feeling because um, in my poems, there is sort of a play on the idea of being autobiographical. It's not necessarily autobiographical, but the sort of mode of the poem is sort of in that sort of space. So. Um, so my family, they they read the poem, but they didn't really comment on it. They were like, "Cool, like, I'm proud of you." And I think both of like us prefer to keep it that way, in the sense that I wouldn't really want my family um, to talk about the poems um, because that sort of breaches the membrane between what's happening inside the poem and what's happening in my life. And I think it's very important um, to keep one's own life outside of poetry, if that makes sense, because it's so easy to be consumed. By it,、uh, by writing. If you write about your life, then your life becomes part of your writing. And when you're disillusioned with your writing, you become disillusioned with your life, which I think is very dangerous. So I think it's it's great that to my family, I'm not a poet. I'm just you know a son、uh, or a brother.、Uh, and to my friends, I'm just a friend. And I think that's very important to keep oneself grounded.、Yeah. Lee, tear. On a bench in the laundromat. I see him slumped, sobbing, his back reflected in the washer's porthole. Inside the machine, a deep, irregular whir, the metal drum tossing loose socks, shirts, invisible limbs. Never have I seen a man break so completely, as if a vast crevice had unzipped his life. Later. Hauling a warm bag of clothes up uneven flights, I recall my father's woolly voice. Our last meal together, the ceiling fan chopping light above us, when he asked if I would ever forgive him. How slowly he took off his glasses and wept. That was your first poem published in a way. That's that's mad, right? <laughs> And you found, she said, you found a community out of it. And、uh, what's, what do you want out of the future for your for your poetry work? What do you imagine?、Um, I think, 
I think for me right now, I just focus on the next poem. Because um, I remember, I don't know who said this exactly, but I'm paraphrasing here, but it's like an artist is only as good as their last work, which might be a bit hyperbolic, but I think that attitude of there's always the next poem to write, that keeps me going. Um, and a lot of people ask me, like, do you have a pamphlet manuscript or something? And I would say that um, I don't think I'm in any rush. And to me, publication has never really been the goal. It's only sort of a bonus um, because I think it was important for me to write in solitude for for two to three years before like all of this happened because that solidified that sort of determination for me to write only for myself, um, to write because I enjoy the process of writing. I enjoy the process of reading other people's work. Um, and I think that's very important. So, so as for what lies in the future, you know, I trust future Eric to choose that for me, I think. <laughs> And uh, if people hear, to the, hear this interview and they really want to, you know, check out your work, why can they, why can they do that? Uh, so I, I have a website. Um, it's eric-yip.com. But uh, you can also find me on Twitter uh, or on Instagram. It's basically like Eric Yip. <laughs> yeah. But thanks a lot for the Lovely. interview. Thank you so much. It was Thank a lovely you. interview. Thank Thanks. You. Nice talking to you. Nice to meet you. <laughs> nice meeting you. Okay. Yeah. We're here with uh, Wayne Holloway-Smith. And yeah, poet and sometimes editor as well about just, spoken just, press. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now uh, poetry review. Obviously. How did you get involved with the the Verve Festival in the first place? Then um, Stuart, last year I did a reading at Blackwells in Manchester, and uh, I was reading this thing called Lobsters, which was a, a, a longish poem that I wrote and published with Makina Books. Um, and Stuart was there, and then he just came up to me afterwards and said, uh, can I pay you to read that at uh, uh, Verve next year, or can I pay you more to write a new thing? And I was like, well, I do like more money. Yeah, yeah. I wrote a new thing. Nice, yeah. So that was the, the rabbit that you performed the rabbit, today? Rabbit box, yeah. Sad among the hurting windows, gone bad town, bricked up eyes and punch drunk. Gone bad town, its extant trees unfold, the air so gentle where in this gone town, timid little thing, gingering, deeply breathes my lungs, my lungs, to outgrow its own shrinking. I am the rabbit, king of nervous laughter, touched in the wits, a tiny body in the bathtub or caught too young in the guttural clench of a small town wind. Blue plastic bags sucked around the feet of men and their laughter was bigger than God hurts. If you broke your fingers drunk on glue in the backs of bus stations, born into the terrible hallelujah of language, then you know my name. Yeah, so people who haven't uh, been aware of your stuff before, you, you kind of, uh, you're in the kind of long poem form at the moment. You know, that's what we touched upon in the, the talk that you just did now, the reading that you just did now. So yeah. with this, uh, why did you choose to do it in that form, you know, what's, rather than the shorter form that's more common? I don't know. I think it's just that it's not like I, I chose to do it in a particular form. It's just like actual writing, the thing kind of works itself out as it, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I have no real idea how long something's going to go on for. Like, I don't know what I'm going to say. And the poems aren't like necessarily about something or like, and I certainly don't know how it's going to end. So like, it's really just sort of working it out line by line sometimes. You're always writing that line, I'll write another one.
Yeah, how, so, and how long did it take you to write this one? Because it, it this one, uh, I don't think it's finished yet. Um, uh, I don't know, like two years. Really, that long? Yeah, I mean, I I care about stuff and yeah, uh, and I'm trying to, but like, not it's not like I got up and wrote nine to five every day. Yeah, inspired or just like when when I've uh, got something new to do with it. Like sometimes I don't really. You know, you sit with something for a while, you don't really understand where it's going next. And then and then you think, oh, shit, yeah, no, it's that. Or like, oh, actually, it's not going anywhere next. I need to take something out, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and then it kind of uh, unlocks a new bit, and then you write for a little bit, and oh. see what it looks like on a, on the page. And... Yeah, so that, that, that's, I mean, you kind of answered my question here, which is how do you edit a long poem, right? Yeah. And it's like, it sounds like it's a journey across a year or whatever yeah well i think i what i start doing is like editing as i go so sometimes it's like not when i'm say writing you're just you're you're not really writing new things you're just like rewriting the bits that you've already written yeah yeah, sometimes you read it out and you just keep reading it until like you sort of automatically say the next line do you know what i mean so you're like saying you read as far as you've got and then all of a sudden, you're, you're sort of writing the next bit or something like that. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't really know why. It was it was incredible the poem that you did today. Oh. And so I mean, when when is it coming out then? When can we pour over it? Because you know, he, hearing you deliver it, it's great. But, you know, it's, it'd be really nice to have a chance to sit with it and really <laughs> go for it. That's the that's how I read poetry. Uh, you yeah. Know? I mean, I don't know. I've got a um, so I've got a I'll finish it. And then, um, and then I'll just give it to my agent and see. Yeah, yeah. What happens. Um, okay, well. Well, Blood Axe normally publish my stuff, so perhaps, perhaps they'll be interested. Like I don't. Um, yeah, hopefully. Yeah. So hopefully, we, some people will. Yeah. The 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 other thing is, we spoke to, <laughs> we spoke to. We spoke to uh, KTO Prey that you helped um, uh, helping them in their poetry crafting it, really inspiring them. So I met Katie because they were uh, a student of mine at the University of Hertfordshire. Oh right. So that's when we started like working together. Yeah. And then um, and then they they stuck their manuscripts in the mix for uh, me to consider for outspoken, and it was just obvious that it's one of the best things. So yeah, we worked together on that for about a year. But we've been working together before that because I was literally paid to work with them, you know? Very good writer and very, very young as well. So it's like incredibly exciting to see where someone like Katie might go next. And also I hope people do buy that um, that book because it's... Apricot. Apricot, yeah. yeah. Get it, it's really good. It's the best best thing I read of the year. Seriously. Yeah, yeah, for you know, for me yeah. That's good, yeah. I I think more people would think that if more people bought it. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, great. And the, does like doing the editing, does that help you with your writing process, do you think, in general? Uh, nah, probably not. <laughs> no. No, it's just it's a lot it's a lot of work. And yeah. you're kinda like um often you're it's part it takes up your own kind of creative energy to sort of yeah, yeah. other people's work if you do it seriously you know which I always want to do and the same I think with um, the poetry review stuff to a certain extent you've got to really take that stuff seriously you know people it's people's work yeah <laughs> yeah yeah. you know potentially careers they're, they're looking to sort of form or they already have formed so but it deserves your attention to the 
you know, to the to the highest possibility that you can give it. Um, and that's tiring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's quite a so uh, thank you for taking the time to talk to us man um, last obligatory question how did you get into poetry in the first place because you, you mentioned that you you know in this last reading you mentioned you grew up in a house without books yeah. like so what what got you into poetry in the first place yeah yeah but we want the honest answer man uh, so when I was um, when I moved to London all of my friends that I made were very cool they all dressed a certain way uh, they were all artists or they were all in bands I, 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 uh, and I was like shit like, in order to dress a certain way you kind of have to have a thing like so what can my thing be As a, and a, I don't know poetry doesn't really exist anymore maybe I'll just be you know the first contemporary poet <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> wear a hat with a feather in or something yeah. <laughs> or you know an interesting pair of pointy shoes or something like that so that's why I did it and then I suddenly like uh, realised that there's actually quite a lot of contemporary poets and they're all like some of them are quite interesting so then I had to sort of uh, um, go to school and and learn how to do it and I did feel that when I like maybe kind of intuitively that like it was something that I wanted to do uh, so I kept kind of working very hard at it. Yeah. Uh, still, you know, still working hard at it. Try and get as good as I can. Yeah, and and it shows, man. <laughs> yeah, I've really enjoyed it today. Really interesting. seeing you. This is the first time I've actually seen any of your poetry, believe it or not. Eloise has, you know, read some stuff before, but the first time I've been exposed to it. So, yeah, we're looking forward to it coming out. If you want to shout out any socials or anything that you want to do. No. <laughs> Okay, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us, man. Appreciate that. Hi, I'm Lulu and we're here with Stuart, the director of uh, Poetry Festival. Uh, Yeah, can you tell us a bit more about how you started, uh, you know, creating the Verve Poetry Festival and the co-founder, who did you create it with? So uh, I created it with Cynthia Miller, who's a poet uh, with Nine Arches Press. Um, she used to live in Birmingham. I used to run the big waterstones in Birmingham that you might have seen uh, on High Street. Um, and while I was running that, we decided we wanted to do a poetry festival. I think Cynthia made me decide that somehow because she didn't work for waterstones. But uh, And so we did our first two in that shop. Um, so we had kind of maximum 100 seats and it was very homemade. But, but really good and I think um, we discovered there what what the kind of kernel of Verve is about we aimed to be um, for this city so we, we needed to be multicultural we needed to, to show all the kinds of poetry not just page poetry we needed to do a lot more with performance poetry a lot of poetry festivals are rural and intense and quite white um, Cynthia's got Malaysian heritage and went to a few and felt quite uh, isolated um, so we knew that we had to had to make that a choice and a lot of um, poetry festivals they have one performance event and the rest are all sitting around with books so we wanted that to be a much bigger part of what we did so at least half the events are kind of performance and then the other half are kind of more thoughtful events. So you've been doing that for like five years now? Yeah, this is our sixth one. Sixth one, yeah. And uh, how did you 
do it during the lockdowns and the whole pandemic period. Okay. Um, we didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we had one in February 2020, uh-huh. about three weeks before the lockdown. Yeah. Uh, we missed 2021, partly because I didn't want to apply. We get funded by the Arts Council, and I felt like I had a job. I didn't need to earn money to live whereas a lot of artists did so I felt like they needed the Arts Council money more than I did so we took a a year off but I don't like taking years off and we came back last uh, in 2022 and it was probably still quieter than this this year people weren't quite ready but um, each year since has felt more and more busy so it's been a good year this year. Yeah. <laughs> and um, how do you balance having Birmingham poets with more uh, nationwide poets? What's the programmation um, strategy like? Yeah. So um, I think I'm not terribly focused on Birmingham these days. I think we ca- we uh, the festival quite naturally become is uh, becomes more national the longer it goes on. So on the first Thursday, it tends to be local people coming. We have an open mic. We, you know, we we involve people that way. Um, a lot of the Birmingham poets have been on a lot of at Verve, so you know there, there's one two on tonight. The Greg Ledbetter and Zappa Canal are both Birmingham heritage. We make sure there's they're represented, but I think it's more for the Birmingham learners, the Birmingham people who want to learn poetry or be poets. And, and so I want to show them the best poetry there is. So that could be from anywhere, really. And we've had a couple of people in from the States this time. We've got lots of Scottish poets. What's going on? Uh, so, yeah, so just uh, but quite a mix, generally. Uh, yeah, what does this festival mean to you? That's the biggest question ever. Um, so, well, it means everything to me. I think um, we've been really surprised at how, you know, quickly it landed. I think how quickly it's become valued, how many people feel it's quite an essential festival. Um, I think, you know, it means the world to me, but I also feel that we're learning all the time. And so we'd like to try, you know, we had our first film poetry event this time. We had our absurd all-day open mic, which no one else has, but why would you? But then I think it was good, and I think it will grow. So, we, you know, we are trying different things all the time. And I th- But I do, I just think we're still the only poetry festival doing what we do. Um, and so that's why I think people come so far to come here. Yeah, we really enjoyed it. Great. Yeah, we travelled from Crawley, you know, yeah, to Birmingham. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, it was really lovely. Well, thank you so much for talking to us, Stuart. Yeah, <laughs> nice to speak to you. <laughs> that was Verve Festival 2023. Thanks for checking it out. If you want to find out any more about the Poets Featured or Verve Festival itself, um, check out the website, Verve's website, in the description below. And if you want more Poetry Tours content, just subscribe to whatever you're checking this out and check out just our other content. And uh, don't hesitate to get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you.
Catch you next time. See you guys. <laughs> du cinéma se répartent. La foule sort, se disperse. Reste deux femmes et un parapluie au coin de la rue. Papotage féminin. La brunerie secoue ses cheveux. De l'autre côté de la rue, l'homme les observe. De droit, de droit. Thank you for listening to Poetry to Your Ears. This podcast is published as a newsletter on Substack. All of our content is published for free. But if you would like to support our work, you can become a paid subscriber. This will help us afford transcripts for the deaf and hard of hearing community and anyone who would benefit from reading the podcast alongside hearing it. You can also support us for free by rating the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or writing a review on Apple Podcasts. Share the show with your friends, fellow poets and poetry lovers. If you want to interact with us, you can follow us on at poetry to your ears on Instagram and at poetry to number two your ears on Twitter. Or you can also write a comment on Substack. Until next time!